Are you ready to be awakened and empowered in your calling and purpose? Are you a builder and shaper of the church, marketplace, and society? Welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Schneider, and I look forward to helping you get equipped as a catalyst of the kingdom in your sphere. All over the world, I've been seeing that pastors and leaders are saying the same thing. We know where to engage and invade the seven mountains, but show us how. We want to go from preaching to to practitioners, to being practitioners who actually are fulfilling the mandate of discipling nations. Now, evangelism is different than discipling nations, isn't it? Evangelism is part of discipling nations, but evangelism on its own, as in witnessing to your neighbor, street witnessing, crusade evangelism, will never actually disciple an entire nation or continent. Africa would be a good example of that. Africa as a continent is the most evangelized nation in our world today, yet the continent itself has not necessarily been transformed as it is in heaven. Is it true? I think we know, we know that it's true. Because we're needing an ingredient now and new tools. Let everyone say new wine and new skins. That's what we're talking about. And I want to touch on some new skins that can hold the new wine that we want to spill all over the nations. Amen? We want the new wine in every sector and sphere of society. We want the mountains, the seven mountains uh, of, of society, every sociological sphere, to be drenched in the wine of the Lord. Amen? I want to show you one verse, one scripture today. I'd like you to go to Romans chapter number one. And you may have read this many times, but I want to give it a little twist for you. Romans chapter one, beginning at verse three, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, And was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I want you to hone in on verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Let everyone say grace and apostleship. Now what for? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. We see a result here or a goal of God, which is to bring about the obedience of the faith in all nations. So we see that two things are necessary to bring nations under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Both of these things we've received from Jesus. We have received both grace and apostleship. Now, we have thought in the past that apostleship was, the result was you got to carry a business card. Your business card said apostle, you hand it out at different conferences, you announce how many people are in your church or what kind of network you oversee, but in actuality, the goal of God and the reason the church especially and apostolic centers especially are given this apostleship is actually not only to equip the saints, with which uh, Pastor Allen said so well, but also to bring about the obedience of nations. <laughs> Jesus wants to redeem whole nations. 
We have been given this apostleship and this launch pad, this being sent for the sake of discipling nations and bringing everybody under the lordship of Jesus Christ before his return. If there has ever been a time in history that we are are in a state where the church is being mobilized beyond the four walls at an accelerated rate and the kingdom of God is coming, we are in that generation right now, aren't we? Why? Because God is desperate to reach nations. And so he's given us something, and you'll hear different ways of wording it, and it manifests itself in different ways, but you'll say, you'll hear people say prayer and action. Or you'll hear people say revival and transformation, or revival and reformation. Now, when we talk about the grace of God, we need, you know, I think of the wine. I actually have come to a conclusion. I have a different definition of grace now than just praying before you eat the food at the table. But the grace of God is actually the supernatural power flowing in and through the human being. What do you think? We have been made partakers of the supernature. We have been made partakers of a divine nature. We have been filled with wine that redeems our lives, transforms our lives, and we experience the supernature of God, or we experience the supernatural. Years ago, over in that building there, we experienced a revival of great wine. Great grace was poured out. Grace was poured out, and it spilled over into this building and began to trickle a little bit out into the streets. What is the grace? It's the supernatural of God. We had incredible glory meetings. We had incredible revival services. They went till 2, 3 in the morning. We saw deliverance of people who came. We saw all kinds of incredible things happening in the building. And I was so amazed by what God was doing. And we were so amazed. We began to think, how can we get this wine outside into the streets of our city? And we tried everything from an announcement in the newspaper to holding big signs out in the street that said, God is in this city. But the reality was the wine that was inside the wineskin of our church only went as far as we went, only went as far and actually was determined really in many cases by how organized we were as a church to reach out. The wine and the level of wine is determined by the wineskin. So if God wants to pour wine on the nations, I'm sorry, church, but sometimes we need new skins. We need to be able to extend our wine skins. We need to be able to creatively and organizationally and strategically expand the skins and change models and adjust ourselves to be able to make sure the wine gets out into society. How many are thankful for the grace of God? How many are thankful for the revival fire of God? We hold whole conferences, and God bless Canada. Canada is really good at the, uh, at, the, at the wine, at the grace. We have incredible prayer meetings. We know how to protocol in our prayer meetings. We know how to gather people for glory conferences. We know how to gather a crowd, and we know how to spill the wine, don't we? In fact, we could line you all up right here, lay hands on you. The wine would begin to flow, and we would have a great time. The problem with that, though, is that if it's only limited to a conference or a building or a center or a season, hello, if revival is only restricted to a season or a center, it doesn't actually make it out into society for the purpose of the transformation and discipling of nations before Christ's return. Are you still with me? Just 
fasten your seatbelt, we're, we're going somewhere here. God actually loves the nations. God doesn't just want your church to worship him. He wants all of Oshawa to worship him. God wants every sociological sphere to become an image of the kingdom of heaven so that we can fill, fulfill the ultimate dream of God, which was your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, not just in the building, as it is in heaven. Can you say amen? So we need the grace, but we can no longer limit the grace. We need grace and apostleship. <laughs> grace and apostleship. Now, let me jump into this here, and in the time that I have, I want to try to strategically unpackage this. Some things may, may shoot by you, and some things you might catch in the moment, and some things you might catch later. But as our Ministry of History Makers uh, Academy and Society began to go to the nations, we began to discover that if we could properly and effectively train and equip people, the sons, if we could help people go from baby Christians to mature sons through the process of strategic equipping, God actually would begin to sow them out into society strategically. I began to discover that the kingdom of God could go into a nation as far as the mature, trained sons and daughters would be going. There were no limited. There were no limits. There were, the church walls were not limited. As far as we would go, that's as far as the kingdom of God would go. And so I began to understand the the apostolic and apostleship as building up of people for the purpose of building up society. I began to see an aspect of the apostolic being the equipping of people to go and actually disciple and build up nations. I began to understand that this required more than just the grace and the revival and the spirit and the wine, but it actually required something called systems and processes. <laughs> I began to understand that routines are good for developing people. In fact, if you put a, a child in a routine, that routine and that system within your home will determine the health and the growth process and the maturation of that child. It's actually the same with nations. You may not have known that. Nations and the development of nations actually do not rise and fall by prayer meetings. Although prayer meetings are absolutely essential, nations rise and fall based upon the principles that penetrate society which are enforced by systems. I know some of that went by, but it'll circle. We'll, we'll hover around this. But you could say almost without... you going too far on one side of the coin, that nations rise and fall based on the systems that are established. If you've driven on a highway in Canada, when you land in some parts of the world and you drive on their highways, you quickly discover, no matter how good the prayer meeting was, if you don't have a good traffic system, hello. But in Canada, we enjoy driving on our roads for the most part, except 401 eastbound at 5 p.m., but generally, we enjoy the beauty of great systems that are based on kingdom principles. So if we want to disciple nations or even see movement or the transformation of a nation, you have to get into the development of systems. You have to get into the uprooting of demonic systems that hold demonic ideologies in place and replace them with righteous systems that hold righteous principles in place because righteousness exalts a... All right, you got it. So system building is an absolute requirement for any apostolic center. We need both grace and apostleship. Hello, are you still with me? And so societies are actually dominated by systems. 
anywhere from government level all the way to organized crime, all the way down to McDonald's. McDonald's was once called McDonald's Systems. Did you know that? McDonald's was actually the vanguard of how to produce a lot of food that had the same quality each time, and you could serve more people faster and even franchise for the purpose of occupying more territory. McDonald's actually has outlasted every revival within our generation. Coca-Cola has outlasted every revival within our generation. Why? Why does McDonald's, just down the street from us, in the same demographic, has on its sign over 99 billion served? We need something like that on our embassy sign. Over 99 nations served. How is McDonald's able to do this? How can a 17-year-old get up early in the morning, get to work, and take his place within a system and serve over 99 billion people? And our product is a lot better than McDonald's product. I'm sorry if McDonald's ever hears this, but McDonald's food is not good for you, yet you eat it. And you like it. <laughs> Even if you don't want it, you know that on your way to church, like Joe and I yesterday, it's the fastest way to get food. It's just more efficient. So even though I don't want to eat it, I'm forced to eat it because of McDonald's strategic systematic... Oh. I'll let you laugh, and then I'm going to bring this line in here. But because of McDonald's strategic understanding of systems, you don't want to eat it, but you're forced to eat it. This is the way systems work in nations. You might not vote for Jesus. You might not want to know Jesus, but the systems are forcing you to have an encounter with the principles of Jesus. And when the principles bless the country, you want to meet the king of that, that kingdom. You want to become a citizen of that kingdom. The systems and processes in Force the principles. And so yesterday I'm driving with, with, with Joe and we just, we don't have enough time. I'm forced to eat McDonald's, although I love it. But I'm, I'm forced to eat McDonald's and we pull up and take our place in the system. We begin with a sign and I get to choose what I want to order. There's nothing mystical about it. I'm just going to choose that and order it. By the time you get to the next step in the system, let everyone say process. I'm about to be served in this parking lot a product. I get to the next stage in the system and somebody speaks out of a box. I don't know if it's an angel or a prophetic declaration, but somebody is talking. I'm hearing the voice of the Lord or somebody, and they're asking me what I want to order. I can't believe it. I can't see it, but I hear a sound. It's like Samuel being called three times, and I'm not making fun here. There's a point to this, but there was actually nothing miraculous about it. Somebody was using an electronic system where they were able to speak through that box. There was nothing supernatural about it. However, if Abraham and Moses showed up in our generation and heard a voice coming from a box, they might think it's supernatural, but it's not supernatural. It's just a you got it. So I move to that stage, and I tell this person what I, what I want to order, and I move to the next step of the system. I don't cut corners. I don't try to speed it ahead too fast or go too slow. I don't even have to pray about it. I just move into the next part of the system, and there's a totally different person who somehow prophetically knows what I ordered. 
Can you imagine? It's a totally different person, and they're now ready to take my order, and a new system is introduced, and this person takes a, a magic box. They, they take a black box, and it doesn't even have a cord attached to it. it it's got to be supernatural, and they reach out with the black box, and I take out a tiny little card, although we used Joe's card yesterday, but I take out a tiny little card that somehow has all my banking information on it. It's got to be supernatural. No, it's just a... So I take that card, and in the name of Jesus, I tap the, the box, and, and suddenly there's a wealth transfer that takes place. The... the, 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 the <laughs> I don't want to go too far with this, but there's a wealth transfer, a quality service is being served, and in exchange, there's, there's value, there's money that's being transferred, and what happens is somehow, supernaturally, from my card all the way to that black box, my money enters somebody else's banking system. Are you with me? Then I take my, <laughs> I take my place in the next stage of the system, now I'm, now I'm at a different window, and there's a totally different person that must have been praying about it because somehow they knew what I ordered. I, I couldn't figure it out. And, and they knew what we ordered, and in under three minutes, they're handing a bag through a window. In under three minutes, I received a quality product that I ingested, and it changed my life. Glory. Hallelujah. It's not supernatural, it's just a good system. You see, the reality is that nations and the practical, tangible dimension called earth is governed by tangible laws and principles. God is trying to invade from his spirit dimension. He's trying to invade this tangible earth. He's trying to get involved in your life. He's trying to speak to us. He's trying to pour out new wine. But the reality is, as long as we are citizens of this earth held by a tangible body, we have to learn the laws and principles that govern the tangible earth if we're to fulfill the mandate of God of earthly management. Well, that was a lot, but Literally, as long as we are, we are kings and judges of the earth, we are trying to bring the kingdom of God to every sphere of society, we're going to have to get good with our systems. We're going to have to get organized. We're going to have to show up on time. We're going to have to learn to be efficient. And it's not that you lose the grace or the wine on the way. You don't lose the wine. We want more wine. But to have the more wine, we need more skin. We need a new system. We need a new model. We need a wineskin that's able to hold the wine. I began to discover as our ministry would train and equip and send people to organize righteousness in society, guess what happened? The wine began to flow. It was as if God looked down and said, ah, you got a charitable status? Ah, you have a staff? Oh, you're strategically organizing righteousness in Eastern Europe? I'm going to pour my wine all over that. And, and what happened? I sat down with the, with the director of uh, the European Judges and Lawyers, uh, whatever it was, <laughs> I can barely say it, and he said, you don't even live here in Bulgaria, but you've done more for Bulgaria than our churches. How is that possible? I began to explain to him that I don't have to live here. I can set up a system that strategically releases wine into the seven sociological spheres. So he invited me to speak at their convention. I don't know what to say to a judge and a lawyer, but he said, I want you to speak on the role of truth in rebuilding a former communist nation. 
We're talking about discipling nations. Now, many people don't realize, and Ellen was touching on this a little better than, than I am, I think, but, but the, uh, that God is actually the ultimate CEO. He's a God of systems and processes. There was a system and process to enter into the Holy of Holies, wasn't there? All the way back, as far as Genesis, we don't see necessarily the mystical power of God, although we see it, it's called creation, but we actually see the strategic CEO thinking of God. Let me explain that to you. When God, who is in the spirit world, wanted to develop something in the natural world, what did he do? He actually created a system. What he did was he creates something once and then subjects it to a system so that it can manage itself without his direct intervention. That one may catch you on the, on the way around, but what he did was God never set his alarm this morning and woke up to make sure the sun rose, did he? No, he created the sun once and then subjected it to a solar Ah, you're getting it. So he ensured that the sun could rise in every country at the right time without his direct miraculous intervention. I'm going to slide this one in here just because I'm sure you'll want to listen to this again and, and catch it. But the miraculous of God is actually the exception to the natural world we live in, isn't it? When something is an exception, it means that it's not happening all the time. We want the miraculous. I want miracles as much as I can have them, but even this morning I didn't count on a miracle to provide me breakfast because God has given me the tools to go out and provide myself breakfast. This is sonship. God does not want codependent relationship with children. He wants to raise mature sons and daughters who go out and manage the earth in the way he would if he was down here in our shoes. Can I get an amen to that? And so God creates something once and then subjects it to a system. We see that God creates the animals once and then subjects them to a reproductive system. He makes one man. I would have made millions. Would have fulfilled the mandate right there. He makes one man and then teaches that man management and prayer. Pray in the cool of the day. Manage the garden you know, in the afternoon kind of thing. Work your nine to five. Work for purpose. And so God sub subjects man to a reproductive system. All throughout society, we see systems. In fact, I have a circulatory system. You have a skeletal system. You have a digestive system. And you know when one of those systems breaks down, don't you? You know it. And then you need a miracle. Airports function by systems. God is a God of systems and processes. We have educational system, judicial system. So my friends, if you want to bring the kingdom of God into a nation, it's not enough to just bring the kingdom into your church. You have to strategically train and equip ambassadors who go out from the embassy to bring the kingdom of God into society and use systems. This is actually the only way that you can occupy territory. The church up until now has understood how to influence territory. We know how to hold a crusade. We know how to have a big budget. We know how to have a prayer meeting. But the strategic occupation of territory requires systems that maintain ground. I love what Ellen was saying when he said that uh, you've got to actually go out and occupy. If the devil has occupied territory, occupation is not static, you said. You can actually uproot demonic power. You can uproot the throne of darkness and replace it with a new system. 
See, the problem that we've had, and especially we see this in Canada, is we're so good at praying, we're so good at dealing with the strong man, that if we do have enough prayer that pulls down the strong man, then we celebrate that we prayed. The problem is, now a throne has been displaced, we need to now go in and replace it with a new system, a new mandate, a presence. But we sit down in our churches and celebrate that we prayed, and guess what happens with the strong man? The strong man returns seven times. And the next generation is worse than the previous generation because we have prayed about it, but we haven't gone in tangibly in our tangible bodies strategically and began a process of occupation. And Ellen is right. Anything you see today began years ago and is being enforced by a system. Therefore, a nation goes on a track of momentum that is very difficult to turn around. And so we gather and pray and we say, okay, we've prayed. Why didn't it turn around yet? I'm sorry, but you have years of a momentum going there. Now we've got a lot to deal with in prayer and even more to deal with strategically. Ooh, are you with me? Can we keep going just, just a little further? The hard reality is that we cannot disciple nations without dealing with their systems. Anything less than changing the systems, getting involved in the systems, occupying territory, we remain in a place of prayer, which is good, we remain in a place of the prophetic. Prophetic is also good. And we remain in a place of evangelism. The problem with that is Jesus didn't commission us to go and do evangelism. Evangelism is part of it. Jesus said, go and disciple nations. What gave him the audacity to say that? And what gives us the audacity to go out and tell a nation how to live? Well, when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, now all authority has been given to me. He settled the jurisdiction issue. Now it's not limited to the house of Israel. Now it's not limited to Canada. Now it's not limited to your church building. Actually, I have authority in heaven and all the earth. Therefore, go! This is why you gotta go! <laughs> and, and the problem was we weren't going, and so the Lord in this church reformation has raised up a movement of training and equipping all over the world we know we're to train equip he's raising up apostolic centers that have a metron that have a way of government and if you want to be a government you've got to get good with systems and processes so it is impossible to fulfill the mandate of societal transformation with just the grace we need the apostleship the systems it is impossible to do revival and reformation. We cannot reform a society without dealing with the systems and processes of the society. In fact, you can even do this on a, on, on a, a smaller level. One of the things that, that we did, and we saw this in, in Namibia, but Namibia, the government there had said, listen, we're, we, we have blocked evangelistic ministries from coming into the country because we just find... You hold big crusades, you take up big offerings, and sure, it looks good, but you leave the country and you don't pay taxes. They really felt, okay, you've blessed some people with the wine, but the nation isn't changed. But they said, we welcome history maker society into the country because you are training Namibians how to rebuild Namibia. You're dealing with the system. So on one level, like we're used to the word missions, but... Let's flip that a bit. On one level, we had a shanty town outside of Windhoek that the women, to go to the bathroom during the night, had to walk however many miles or, or feet, and they were being raped along the way. 
It's because the system is so bad. So what did we do? We didn't go in and hold a crusade. We went in and put plumbing in. You know, that, that won't make for a great glory conference, you know, toilet conference, but, but that's what we did. We went in and put in toilets. We went in and put in showerhead, and there was a system created so that the women didn't have to walk anywhere. So guess what happened? There was no more rape. There was no more kidnapping. We didn't pray about it. We just replaced and fixed the system. The church has to be on the forefront of this kind of thing. I met with uh, Timmy and Laura yesterday, who... We've, we've brought a, a group from the embassy through the system. They go through the history maker's experience, and people, people are offended when I rave about the effectiveness of this training. Why? Because we're not used to results. We're used to prophesying results. We're used to praying about things. But when there actually are some results, it actually becomes offensive. Who do you think you are? One thing doesn't work. Leave us alone. We're waiting on God to come down and do it. But when we put people through the history makers experience system, then they move to the next stage of the McDonald's, I mean the process, and they begin to go through an eight-week follow-up, destiny and transformation mentorship, then they take their place into the next stage of the system, and they form what we call a transformation council. That's why it's exciting to hear about apostolic councils and small groups that are formed to do the heavy lifting of societal strategic transformation. So I met with Timmy and Laura yesterday. Our meeting consisted of, of, of some prayer because we believe in prayer. Pray as if it all depends on God. Work as if it all depends on you. But I mostly sat down and said, who do we have on the team? What are they doing? And I got to hear about different people starting different initiatives that are out there. We're going to meet with the mayor and offer ourselves to strategically get involved in the community. This is a strategic process. If you make a small group like that, you might say, well, there's only 12 of you. Let's just reproduce the system next year. Another history makers training, another eight-week follow-up, another transformation council, and you begin to sow seeds into society. And if you give it some time, if you follow the process, if you're patient and you give it some time, you begin to actually occupy territory. And that thing that began as a seed that had the grace on it suddenly becomes a great tree. Jesus didn't compare the kingdom of God just to the tiniest of all seeds. He, he didn't just compare it to the greatest of all trees. Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a process. Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a system, a process from seed to tree, a process from insignificant to significant a process from small to big. If we want to disciple nations, we've got to respect the power of the tiny new beginning, but also respect the process, respect the system, hold to the system, and bring both grace and apostleship to the nations before his return. Thanks for listening to Transformation Generation Podcast. If you liked what you heard, visit historymakersacademy.com to enroll in one of our cutting-edge trainings. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, History Makers TV.